Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Good to be with you. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love this church, and really glad that you're here with us today. If you're new, uh, there's a place out there called Parkview Connect where you can talk to somebody about how to get connected here. So we're just really glad you're here to worship together. So we are studying the book of Nehemiah together. That's why all this stuff is behind me. If you have a Bible or phone app, you can slide or turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. And I have loved getting to know this guy. Like I had no idea when we started this study that I would need to learn from Nehemiah the way, especially this week, I've had to learn from him. So um, we're getting to know a guy who lived about 2,500 years ago. Uh, He was a Jew, a follower of God, but he was living in exile in the Babylonian Empire, and he was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And so in that capacity, one day he heard about the walls of Jerusalem being down, and even though he was 800 miles away, that just crushed Nehemiah's heart, that even though he's living in exile, he was a man who stood close to God, close enough to hear what God's heart pounds for and what breaks God's heart. And so what broke Nehemiah's heart was that the walls of Jerusalem being down meant that God's people were living in shame and disgrace and were unprotected. And so really what I think bugged Nehemiah the most is that the glory of God was being put into question. And so there was a burning in him that for four months he prayed and he fasted and he kept asking, God, what do you want me to do about this? And then one day serving as the cupbearer, the king said, hey, what's going on? You look kind of sad. And he took a big risk. And the cool thing about Nehemiah is that eight chapters are a journal. You get to hear have play by play what's going on in his head. And so the king asks him, what do you need? What's going on? And he says, well, I prayed real quick. And then, boom, he just put out a big ask. He asked for time off. He asked for the king to reverse his foreign policy and be pro, put up the wall around Jerusalem. He asked for materials from the king's forest and all that. And he got it. Plus, he got the king's uh, army escorting him there. Okay, so huge man of prayer, huge answer prayer. And then he gets to Jerusalem. He surveys the situation. And what we saw last week is he rallied all the people, 74 names in his journal. Like Nehemiah 3 would have been easy just to skip. And a bunch of people built the wall. But he, he mentions them by name and where they went. So you see a leader that cares for the people, that organized them well. And so he's getting them ready to go. So now we're going to step into a section of Nehemiah that you go, oh, really? So chapter one, you could say was a big prayer. Chapter two, you could say was a big ask. And chapter three, you could say like, wow, look at the people coming together. Look at this machine starting to roll. And then you hit chapter four. So one chapter in prayer, one chapter on planning, one chapter on organization. Now we're going to hit about three and a half chapters on opposition. And this is a message we need because I think living in America, sometimes we have connected, well, if I become a Christian, everything's going to be easy. Like if I follow God, everything's going to be easy. Like we think if we put on the jersey for Team Jesus, it's going to stay spotless white and we're just going to stroll into the end zone. We're going to stroll into growth. We're going to stroll into influence of the people around us. We're going to just stroll into awesome things. And the problem is you don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Like, are there any heroes in the Bible that didn't battle and fight? If you're putting on the Team Jesus jersey, that jersey is going to be soaked with tears and with dirt and with blood. Like, it's not easy. I mean, Jesus warned his disciples that if the world hates you, know that it's hated me first. 
If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. But because you're not of the world, because I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So opposition is a pretty broad term that I'm going to use this morning, but there are just many forms of opposition we face. A lot of them are from within ourselves. The Bible says we have a flesh, we have a sin nature that fights against what God is calling us to do. So usually our biggest opposition, at least in my case, is me, okay? So we start there. But we also live in a world where you've got a lot of other people that are broken. And so there can be conflicts in relationships. There can be conflicts in marriage. There can be conflicts between parents and kids. So we live in a broken world, too, that has been so scarred by sin that we have things like disease. We have things like hardships physically. We have death. Uh, so many things we battle on this planet. And so when we're talking about opposition, basically opposition I'm going to refer to as anything that tempts you to take your hand off the wall. And that's going to be symbolic of, like for Nehemiah, his role as a leader was to get his people going. Keep them moving. Keep your hand on the wall. Keep working on this. Do not let opposition drop your hand from the wall. And so for us this morning, that challenge to fight opposition is going to be, what is the wall God has your hand on? Like, what is he calling you to do? It's to stay in there and build a marriage that's struggling right now, or to just stay in there with a kid that you're kind of battling with, and I don't know what's going on in his or her world, but I, I got to stay in there as a parent. Or maybe as you're trying to extend the gospel to, to this city that we love, to, to your neighbors and to people that just don't get you or don't, don't understand you, just to keep that hand on the wall. And so uh, we need this message this morning. I needed it way more than I realized when I knew I was doing Nehemiah 4. God has preached hard into my life because uh, this has been a very difficult week and we're going to hear more about that but just this is an amazing chapter and it's an honor to share it with you because God has sure taken me to school with this chapter this week so let me pray and then we're going to jump into it so let's pray together God I thank you that you are just straight up honest with us that Jesus you said in the world we will have tribulation but you said be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And so God, would you speak courage into your people's hearts today? We tend to be a, a weak people. We tend to just kind of ease, uh, seek ease and comfort. We don't lean into hardship or opposition. God, just, just rise us up to be a people who are willing to do whatever it is you're calling us to do. So thank you for Nehemiah and his example. Thank you for your word. Speak to your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so remember the context, like he's got the people, the wall's going, they're going to town, like everything's happening. And then we hit chapter four, verse one, where it says, now when Sanballat, and just pause, he was a political leader of Samaria at this time. He had a big, powerful army, and he hated the prospect of Jerusalem getting strong. That would have competed with his power in the region. So Sanballat heard that we, remember this is Nehemiah's first person, it's his journal. He heard that we were building this wall, and he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, so he's going to start trash-talking, but he's got a big army around him. He's trying to intimidate these guys. And he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. Uh, interesting character. We're going to keep seeing him. Usually, Sam Ballot and Tobiah were not like teammates, but when it came to opposing Jerusalem, opposing God's people, they teamed up. 
And so if Sanballat was the big military guy, Tobiah would have been kind of your intelligence guy. He had some key connections. You're going to see throughout the book with, with key players, uh, even on Nehemiah's side. So he's kind of the conniver. And so you got this one-two punch of military might and then some intelligence going on. So that's Tobiah. And listen to what he says. He kind of sounds like a, sounds like a schoolyard taunt back and forth. He says, yeah, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. He said, man, their wall's so puny, just a little fox going up on it will just crumble it down. So, <laughs> you know, he's kind of picture like two bullies, like just kind of taunting God's people. And so here's Nehemiah trying to get his people to like, shh, shh, don't listen, just keep working, you know. That's going to be Nehemiah's mode through this. You're going to see wave after wave after wave of opposition. And Nehemiah is going to be, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, keep going, hand on the wall, keep working. That's his mode. So verse 4, we see his first response. And he says, um, I'm, yeah, verse 4, Nehemiah says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Like, don't hold anything back, Nehemiah. Tell us how you really feel, okay? So verse 5, do not cover their guilt and let their sin, um, not, let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half the height, for the people had a mind to work. There seems to be, when you look through the Bible, and I, this could be maybe one of Satan's tools, is that there seems to be a trend of taunting that you see in the great people that God used. Think about David Goliath um, when they stroll out there for their big fight. All the taunting that Goliath did. Oh, you send a little boy, you know, and he, you can send him with a stick to beat a dog. You know, like, I'm going to crush him. I'm going to, it's like a WWF, like all-star wrestling back in the day. Yeah, you know, like talk, trash talking back and forth. They're kind of doing that stuff. So you already had big Goliath and little David. Why did he have to throw taunting in there too? So, but that was there. Or Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, wrote like half the New Testament. People used to taunt him like, man, you're ugly and you can't talk. Like just, it's kind of a bad combination. Yeah, but you know, so just constantly just made fun of his appearance, constantly made fun of, oh, you're not a good speaker, that kind of thing. But the epitome is probably Jesus himself. Like think about when his enemies had him on trial when they had him hanging on a cross, you think that's enough, right? But just you read through the narrative of the trials and the crucifixion, just the taunting, hail, king of the Jews. You know, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Like, really? Like, can't you just, he's dying, right? Why do you have to throw taunting in that? And so what's interesting is I think you can look through the Bible. And so right as you see the enemy launching with taunting, it seems that it's just on the other side of that that God does something amazing with the people that get taunted. Like you just wonder if like the taunting, if opposition is not the enemy just trying to get your hand off the wall because God's about ready to do something remarkable through you if you fight through that. And so um, that's Nehemiah there. He's trying to keep the people uh, uh, focused. And so what he does is he just prays, God, hear their prayers. I'm just going to keep working. God, you deal with them. Uh, I'm not going to, oh yeah, well, your mom's, like, he's not going to go back and forth with them, right? He's not going to trash talk. He's just going to go, I got a wall to build. God, you heard them, take care of them, right? And so um, even kind of crass, like, God, you heard them, so send them into exile. Like, don't forgive their sins, God. Like, he's, he's throwing some big ones at them. But basically he's saying, like, God, you take care of them. I'm going to stay with my hand on the wall. I'm going to keep doing what you've called me to do. If you're going to lead um, or if you're going to launch out and do something risky for God, uh, then you need thick skin, 
uh, like Nehemiah had. And there's an interesting tidbit about Nehemiah's name. His name means comforted by God. Comforted by God. And I think the crux of the matter here for us is this. It's like, what's, what's our, where do we find our comfort? Like a lot of times for us, comfort means no opposition, no challenge, just kind of ease, just kind of coast. And the problem is, the way God operates is that if you're going to grow, if you're going to change, if you're going to influence others, you don't, you don't coast into those things. Those things are a struggle. Those things are a battle. I've seen some athletes here this morning. Like, you don't just roll into being a D1 athlete, right? There's some work. There's some pain involved in that. And so the same is true in the spiritual life. Like, you're not just going to kind of coast into that. And so we will not launch out and, 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 and move into places of opposition unless God is our comfort. If our comfort is in, I better have good circumstances, then I'll, then I'll be okay with God. Or if our comfort comes just from being part of the crowd, we're never going to step out from the crowd. God has to be our refuge. God needs to be the one who comforts us. I don't have much time to develop this, but write down, these are my new heroes this week, um, the Free Burma Rangers. Just Google that. Free Burma Rangers. It's a group of people that, Burma is also Myanmar, same country, different names, that have been under intense persecution for, as far as I can remember, for decades, and particularly Christians in Myanmar. And so the Free Burma Rangers are a group of persecuted Christians that in their own context have been on the run and have had to live you know, in the, under, under heavy persecution. And so now this group, this community of believers has grown so strong that now they are being exported to different hotspots around the world, that they're signing up to say, hey, we've learned front lines how to help people in persecution. Where could God use us to do that? So the article I read had a group of these free Burma Rangers, a uh, totally different country, now in Mosul, Iraq, where the battle is still raging with ISIS and some moving stories that right as soon as the battle quiets, they're the ones that rush in there with baby formula, with diapers, with, with food. There's even one story I read where they have kids in like a courtyard. I said look it up, and now I'm telling you most of the story. But there's a, you can still look it up. So they had kids in a courtyard. It sounded like a little VBS, like we would do a little bit of duck, duck, goose, and then talk about Jesus. Like they were doing one of those with the Iraqi kids and telling them about Jesus, and literally they had to shut it down because mortars were starting to fly over them. They're just in the front line. The, you don't do things like that unless God is your comfort, unless God is your, your refuge. And so uh, Nehemiah is just telling the people, hey, when that first wave of opposition comes, I mean, you pray, you give it to God, just keep your hand on the wall. Let's just keep going because I'm going to be comforted by God. Let me just say a word about how he prayed. Okay, so there's a technical word for that. It's called an imprecatory uh, prayer. Uh, there's some psalms if you've read through the Psalms before and you read one of them, you go, ooh, he was having a bad day. Because like, he just says, like, one of my favorite imprecatory Psalm verses is Psalm 58, 8, where, where it says, let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like, that's, that's, I feel like that someday. God, would you just let them dissolve into slime, right? Just like, boom. So that's like, you don't hear Jesus praying that way a lot. You know, those kind of things. But um, the imprecatory Psalm really was from a place of, God, would your glory be defended? God, would you stand up? Would you rise up? And so let me just, I think now that we follow um, Jesus, now that we know Jesus, Jesus kind of turns that. He said, yeah, I want you to pray, but what if you prayed for 
your enemies. Like not, you know, pray that God would turn them into slime. But like, you know, Matthew 5, 44, um, where Jesus said, pray for your enemies, pray, you know, pray for those who persecute you. So there's kind of a different MO, but still the, the concept is the same, that when the, when the opposition comes, you just give it to God. You just give it to God and you keep your hand on the wall, okay? So, so that's round one. And sometimes I think, I think maybe a lot of us, me, like we can handle round one opposition. Like, okay, I'll pray. Oh, God got me through it. Sweet. And so then we kind of crave the, okay, now it's going to be easy, right? And so I think it's more often true that after round one, there's going to be round two. And there's going to be round three. He's like, Doug, you're bumming me out today. I'm just trying to like, just trying to, you know, just set you up here. So this is, this is not heaven. Lori says that sometimes around our house. This isn't heaven, you know. So like, I know we, we know that. So, but, um, but how do you keep your hand on the wall when it isn't heaven? Okay, that's what we're getting after. So let me read the next seven verses. And you're going to see like wave after wave kept coming. So verse seven, but when Sanballat, and Tobiah, so that we had those two guys already, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that we were repairing the walls of Jerusalem. Pause. If we had a map and I could show you where each of those people were, they were like completely surrounded now, okay? It's kind of like Israel today, like surrounded, just completely surrounded by all these, all these people, okay? If it was scary before, it's really scary now, okay? So that's my point. So um, they, were, they heard that the repairing the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, and they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as protection against them day and night. Again, what's Nehemiah do? He prays. But this time you see him do both. He prays, and he sets a guard, right? You're going to see they're going to build the wall, and they're going to have a sword in their hand. They're going to build a wall, but they got, they, they're packing heat. Like, it's just, they're ready. It's like sometimes we go in either ditch. It's like, well, I'm just going to fight through this, and I'm not going to pray. No, don't do that. That doesn't work. But sometimes we go on the other side. It's just like, well, I'm just going to pray about it, and maybe God will do something someday. It's like, no, I think God's calling you to get in the game, buddy. And so that Nehemiah just models that so well for us. And he's just, he walks on that middle ground so well, and that's what he's doing there. He's just praying. And they keep working hard, but they set a guard, okay? So that's the first wave. you got all the people surrounding them. Now it's going to keep coming, you guys. Verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. And by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So verse 10 is a little tricky, and I've looked at it in a couple places. And a while ago, this is kind of in the Hebrew language. This is written in a way that it rhymes. And some people think that this was like a, a slogan or a mantra um, that... Again, who's saying it? It appears like this could be something that the enemies have made up. It's like a jingle that they're just kind of pounding on the people. And so, you know, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. Uh, there's too much rubble. Um, by ourselves, we can't build the wall. Like, just not just taunting now, there's a melody to it. So the only thing I could kind of equate that with is um, I grew up playing, I grew up with one brother and played sports like baseball, football, whatever season it was, played and so when I rolled out first two kids are girls, and then it comes time for them to start playing some team sports, I find myself coaching girls softball. And so I had no idea the biggest difference. Like I thought, yeah, you, you know, teach them to swing and throw. And I could never pitch under, you know, girl style. I could never do that. But my biggest like confusion about little girls softball especially 
is where do they come up with their little chants, like their little songs? Because I never taught them that, and they already knew them from somewhere. Hannah's up to bat, and she can really whack. So if I were you, I'd scoot my booty back. Like, what? <laughs> where did you guys get that? You know, I didn't, I didn't, like, we didn't have a practice. Like, okay, girls, I want you to memorize these. I want you to, like, roll those out. Like, I was in another city doing this, and man, like, one of their cheers rolled out like this. Welcome to the cemetery. This is where you will be buried. It's like, whoa, girls, go, <laughs> girls, calm down. Like, but the thing is, they're like eight, and they're wearing these little pink shirts, and they're out there. It's like, no, no, we, we're not going to do that one, okay? We'll do the booty one, but not the, not the, okay, not that one. So, but just like, and I, I don't know, I've watched a lot of baseball. I've never seen like the Yankees. This is where you will be buried. <laughs> like you just, I don't know, where does that come from? Like if somebody can tell me the origin and the history of that, it would help me a lot. But they knew it before I even, anyway, so that's. A little tangent there, but um, that's what's going on. Like, so that's the next round. And not only are they trying to avoid all the distractions and the fear, they got this little melody in their heads about how they're going to fail, and there's no way they can do this. And it's just, just digging in deeper and deeper. Remember, Nehemiah is writing this. This stuff's bugging him. Like, how can I keep my people hand on the wall? How can we, how can we do this? So, um, verse eleven. It keeps. There's two more rounds. It's going to get worse and worse. Verse eleven. Um, and our enemy said. They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So now they're saying like, hey, we're going to go ninja on you. We're going to kind of surprise you. You won't see us coming. Then we get you. It's just like, wow. Like it was bad enough to see the armies. And now they're going to go sleuth. They're going to go terrorist on us. They're going to like, so the people are jumpy on that one. And then probably the hardest one of all is verse 12, which says at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all the directions and said to us 10 times, uh, you must return to us. So what this is, is that most of these people lived in maybe villages kind of around Jerusalem, so they've moved toward the city next to the wall to build their part of the wall. So what this is, is people coming back from the home village saying, what are you doing? Like, this is stupid. Like, this isn't going to work. Just, you better get out of here now. Do you see all those armies? Do you see, like, this is their own people. This could be like mom and dad saying, you need to come home, son. It's going to be dangerous. You know, like you got mom pulling on your heartstrings. You got, you already had all that other stuff. Man, how can you say no to mom? Like if mom says, be afraid, I'm going to be afraid. You know, so man, just wave after wave after wave of put your hand off the wall, get off the wall, step away from what God's doing. It's getting hard. It could be scary. Oh, it's driving Nehemiah crazy. Okay, so what does Nehemiah do? So verse 13, so in the lowest parts, of the space behind the wall in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. Uh, so he's got them armed again. He's going that way. And then verse 14 is the money verse this whole chapter. Look what he says. And I looked and I arose. I'm kind of sensing a Mel Gibson moment. Like, Here he goes. Uh, I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles and to the officials, he's talking to the leaders first, and to the people, don't. Be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Man, he just rallied them. Remember, remember the Lord. Like, yeah, this, the opposition's hard. The opposition's ratcheting up. It seems like layer after layer. But remember the Lord, that when you remember the Lord, see how awesome and how great he is, then kind of everything else kind of gets back into perspective. 
I needed that big time this week, so many times. Uh, I'll tell you later, but and I'm sure you've had seasons in your life, but 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 the the Lord is our comfort. That's Nehemiah's name. God is your refuge. That if we're to keep our hand on the wall and keep what God's calling us to do, um, God has to be our refuge there. So let me read you a couple of verses. Um, somebody I, I love a lot who's going through a lot this week, um, um, who's been on my heart a lot this week, sent me a text this morning um, saying, I'm praying for you, and um, it should be completely the other way around right now. And uh, she sent me these verses. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And she said, I'm fine. I'll be fine. God's taking care of me. Um, go preach. Go preach today. It's like, it's powerful. And that's what we got to do. We got to remember the Lord. We got to remember the Lord is our refuge. And um, my encouragement to us is that we be a church that can counsel each other well, that when we're going through hardship, that we remind each other that God is our refuge. Sometimes we can be pretty small and pretty, I, I mean, we mean well, but like when we come up to somebody and our, the best we have to offer is like, it'll be okay someday, you know, you'll, you'll get over this. You'll, you know, I just, like, how about God is your refuge? How about like lean hard on God? And how about, I mean, obviously you, you move in gently, but you keep pointing them not to the hope that, Maybe this will go away, but the hope is that God is your rock and refuge because this might not go away. Like, or if this does go away, there might be another round or another round. I think our heart just kind of craves ease and comfort, and um, it doesn't go that way. It didn't go that way for Jesus. Uh, most likely won't go that way for, for, for us. And so our hope is really that no matter what we're going through, that God is a rock and refuge and that my soul my soul can be content. My soul can be at rest, regardless of what's going around me, because God is my refuge. And so Nehemiah's got a job to do. He's trying to keep everybody's hand on the wall. And the way he's doing that is by reminding them that God is your refuge. He is great, and he is awesome. So may we be a church that does that for each other, because uh, we're going to need that. And, um, you know, Nehemiah's critics had some valid points. Like, you guys can't do this. It probably didn't make any sense, just humanly speaking, that in 52 days they put a wall around Jerusalem. A bunch of guys he didn't even know that he mobilized and got her done. Uh, so I think Nehemiah would say, yeah, this, there's no way we could do this. That's why you see me on my knees all the time. Or that's why I'm constantly reminding myself and my people that God is our rock and refuge, that we can push through opposition. So um, really, just if you think about it, what are the things in your life that if there were some sand ballots and Tobias looking at you, it's like, oh, you could never do that. You could never grow a marriage through what you guys are going through right now. There's no hope for you and your kids, what you're going through right now. There's no hope for you financially. There's no hope for you physically. Like, just those taunts come our way. And it is impossible to keep your hand on the wall with some of the things you guys are facing unless you're on your knees, unless God is your your rock and your refuge. And so... Uh, may we be a church that just that just speaks that into each other's lives so that our hands stay on the wall, that we do what God's calling us to do. Now, the last part of the chapter, you're just going to see some, I want you to just kind of see 
some very, very practical things that Nehemiah does. As a good leader, how does he keep his people focused? So they've just been through wave after wave after wave of opposition, and they're still standing. It's like, yeah, you can think like, okay, now let's coast. And it's like, no, he's going to make sure they don't go complacent. He's going to keep them strong. He's going to put some things in place for them. So just kind of notice these as I read through. So starting at verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us uh, and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. So they've got bricks in one hand, they got a sword in the other, okay? Uh, and each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. Remember, they're just kind of all around this wall. In fact, if you could picture this, like imagine your, your, your clan is building this section of the wall. And so you're waking up in the morning, most likely you're living in a tent, that kind of thing. You know, you wake up, you get your little coffee going off your campfire there, and you look and you go, whoa, wait a minute, the Tekoites, look, they're already up a couple, couple bricks on us already. Guys, let's get on it. Like there was a real camaraderie about this thing. You could just see, like, how, how's everybody else doing? And so what you see Nehemiah doing here is like, how can we help these people communicate with each other and continue to fire each other up? And so he says, the work is great and widely spread, and we're separated on the wall from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears, and from the break of dawn until the stars came out, I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. I mean, these guys were ready, and they were working, and they were on task. And so I think Nehemiah just assured them of a couple things. Number one, you will be protected. You've got weapons. You've got people standing behind you, protecting you. So you're, you're defended. You've got strength. You can keep moving forward. And second, you've got each other. That if somebody has a need, that trumpet blares, and we're all there. Like, we're just there to take it off. So Nehemiah is such a good leader. So, okay, now what... Okay, we made it through the, those waves of opposition. What could start distracting my people? How about if they started feeling insecure? Or how about if they started feeling isolated? Okay, let's address those. Get them weapons and get that trumpet going. Okay, so seem so being really responsive there. And so bringing it to us, like, so what's our task at hand? Uh, we're not building a wall, per se. Although they say, like, if you're an Iowan, you know, like, what are the hallmarks of an Iowan? You must be an Iowan if, like, you've eaten a maid right, or you know what a pork tenderloin is, or if you've ever filled a sandbag, right? So somehow that makes you qualify to be an Iowan. So those kind of things. But um, so we're not doing that. We're not building a wall. But what God is calling us to do as a church is to extend the gospel uh, into this city. I mean, it's a city we love. It's a people we have a lot of friends in this city. Um, but a lot of these people in this city don't, don't know Jesus. And so our hand on the wall as a church, is to make sure that we are extending the gospel in this city, that we are teaching God's word, that throughout the week we're befriending neighbors, we're sacrificing our lives for others so that others can hear and see 
the gospel. So that's our hand on the wall. But there's so many things that can distract us. There's the oppositions that can come to keep us from putting our hand on the wall. So just like Nehemiah put some basics in place, um, there's, some, there's just some key ones for us too. Like number one, for, for you to have that constant view of who God is, like Nehemiah did, like God is great and awesome. Like when the opposition comes, God is great and awesome. Not like, dang it, why am I going through this? But it's like, no, God is great and awesome. That comes from being on your knees. That comes from prayer. That comes from uh, rehearsing. How do you praise God? Like what are God's qualities that you just lift up and exalt, that you have much experience, that you have invested many minutes in your week where you do nothing but just praise God? That's that's, that's a strength. That's a rhythm you need in your life. You also need that rhythm where you are hearing from God, where God's word is speaking to you. So just like Nehemiah, make sure they were protected and defended. The way you do that for yourself, I don't think you carry a sword around the Coral Ridge Mall. Good luck on that one. Like, we'll be reading about you. But, uh, so, but you're on your knees and you're in God's word, and that's how you strengthen yourself. But then also you get yourself around some people that also have their hands on the wall. And then when your hand's starting to slip or you're starting to get afraid, you blow that trumpet and they're there for you. They're there to pray with you. They're there to remind you that God is your refuge, that God is your rock. Or same for you, your hand's on the wall and you hear somebody's trumpet going and you're there for them. Let's do this together. You, you cannot keep your hand on the wall. You cannot do what God is calling you to do. And you certainly cannot face opposition alone. There's a woman in this church that I've known for many years and uh, there's just many hardships just as an outsider observing this 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 woman's life i just see hardship 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 and um recently the most recent hardship i know has been just crushing her heart and so um gently someone around here just kind of nudged her toward a group like have you ever really been a part of a group before that you kind of face these battles together and got a really cool email from her this week. Um, and it started with an apology that I didn't even know I needed to hear. But she said, I just need to apologize because I've been really angry at you because you've seen what I've been going through and you haven't done anything about it. It's like, I, she doesn't know me. I don't have much to offer. <laughs> I'm not that. But then she said, I realized when I, was in, I got around some people that just started loving me and praying for me that that's what I needed. I didn't need my pastor to just know everything going on in my life and meet those needs. I, I, needed, I needed people that I could pray with and that just embraced me. She's so thankful for that group. So I don't know what your story is right now. If you're on your knees, if you're in the Word, or if you're around some people, but you, you got it. Those are your defenses that you build up so that your hand can stay on the wall. And so I, I, a couple weeks ago, I've used it twice already this year, so sorry, third time now. It's only February. Sorry about that. But I've referred to the Barna study, right, that says that Iowa City, Cedar Rapids area is in the five least Bible-minded cities in the country, right? Have you, just not yeah, stop telling us that. But, but that's where we are, okay? So there was an article this week. Here's another website you can write down, the Gospel Coalition. There's an article about that. Like, I think an author, national author, picked up on that and said, wait, are you kidding me? Cedar Rapids and Iowa City? I thought that's like the Bible Belt. Like, I thought everybody there went to church and believes in the Bible. It's like, oh, no, you don't, you don't know our area. So, so they interviewed some local pastors, and um, our college pastor was one of the guys in there. So Scott Gaskell, you can read Scott has some quotes in there. But guys, they gave some really cool statistics that, that were just incredibly encouraging to me and for you. So it said this, that in the decade 2000, to 2010, there were two 
they called them, I forget the exact terminology, two larger, two big evangelical churches in Iowa City. And they were talking about how now there's like six or eight. So that's, that's encouraging. And if the word evangelical holds you up, basically, I, I don't care about the brand name as much as I do, do these people follow Jesus and believe in the gospel. And so sometimes that's a distinctive word. If you use the word evangelical, it means, I know when I use it, I mean that I believe in the Bible and I believe that uh, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your savior. It's kind of, it's good. But I mean, there can be other labels that believe those things too, okay? You get me on that. But anyway, if they say there's two evangelical churches and now there's eight, here's another cool statistic. They said from 2000 to 2010, um, the number of evangelicals in Iowa City increased by 42%. That's, that's awesome. And so at that time, you guys, this is not going to be this. It's going to sound like it, but this is meant to encourage you. Uh, in 10 years, 42%, there were two evangelical churches in that decade. You guys are one of those. And to me, I have never like read a statistic like that and said, I... I think I know some of the people that were part of that. Like, I know they came to Christ in that decade. And I know some people that, like, I just want to say that. Like, I just commend this church that there's many examples and people had their hand on the wall. This isn't an easy city to, to talk about Jesus in at times. And I had somebody last hour just, just open up about how, how it's a struggle at work. Everybody is anti everything she stands for. But yet her hand's on the wall. Doug, would you pray that my hand stays on the wall. May I just encourage you, 40%, 42% is, is nice. Guys, there's a lot of this city that still needs Jesus. Let's keep our hand on the wall. That's what, we're not building a little wall, but we are building the kingdom of God. We are building his church in this city. And I praise God, we have other churches doing the same thing. I'm encouraged to see what's the next decade going to do and what's the next decade to do. But if we're to be faithful in extending the gospel, then we've got to be men and women. We've got to be students to keep our hand on the wall and keep going. I love a quote from a pastor in Cedar Rapids. He said this, we got to love people, we got to teach the Bible, and you got to keep talking to your neighbors, and you got to keep plowing. <laughs> I love that. That's church, that's what we're here to do, all to bring glory to God, not to ourselves, not to see if we can show up in some article, but to, like, can, can more and more people start following Jesus Christ because we've kept our hands on the wall, and we've done it together. So, um, Let's do this. I've got um, a time here where I just want us to pray together. And so um, let me just lead you in a time where if you want to pray out loud with somebody next to you, you can totally do that. But kind of the first theme here is uh, to pray, God, give me strength. And then just kind of fill in the blank with what are your challenges this week? Like what's, what, are your, what, what form of opposition is threatening to pull your hand off the wall, to pull you back from what God is calling you to do, maybe to give up on a marriage, give up on one of your kids, to give up on a, on a neighbor or a co-worker. You say, man, they're so different than me. How could I share Jesus with them? Or something in your relationship with God that you're just starting to give up on. Could you pray, pray into that? Pray if it's something you're afraid of, something you're worrying about, just could you give that to God right now? Go into your refuge and give, give that to God right now. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.